ARPDC's Changemaker Conversations in Education, a podcast of the Alberta Regional Professional Development Consortium. This episode, a conversation with Rachel French, co-author of Concept-Based Inquiry and Action, can also be found on Hit Pause with SAPDC, where it was first released on January 29th, 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to welcome you to Hit Pause with SAPDC. We're here today with Rachel French, who has traveled a little bit of a small distance to uh, be with us. And we're between sessions uh, spent today with the leaders and educators here in Southern Alberta, and we'll be with them again tomorrow. Welcome to Southern Alberta, Rachel. We went to saved no expense to give you this weather instead of the minus 35 that was here a week ago. I know, I was quite concerned when I started to pack my bags and checked the weather forecast that I wasn't really going to cope with the freezing temperatures. However, it's quite nice here today. (laughs) I'm very impressed. Thank you for organizing that weather. You're welcome. I I did see your coat. It'll survive for you when you're up in Edmonton a little later. It's supposed (laughs) to be a little colder up there. Uh, Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself um, and what your impressions were uh, with day one today? Sure. So I come all the way from New Zealand. I have a company called Professional Learning International and about f- back in 2012, I trained as a concept-based curriculum instruction trainer and presenter with Dr. Lynn Erickson and Dr. Lois Lanning. I now lead their certification institute each year and we certify trainers from all over the world. And as part of my journey, I've really been looking at how teachers take the written unit and translate that into classroom practice. So my colleague Carla Marshall and I developed um, or wrote the book Concept-Based Inquiry in Action and we really wanted to bring that to life. So the book includes 20 videos of classroom practice and lots and lots of photos and examples of what this looks like in the classroom. We wanted to give teachers that scaffolding or that transition from this is what I want my students to understand Mm -hmm. to what strategies do I need to use in order to build their understanding. And I'm really excited to be here. I've been following the progress of concept-based here in Canada for probably about a year now through colleagues. And it's great to see that you've got a group of educators who are so passionate about concept-based inquiry and about what this means as a teaching approach and how regardless of what changes happen with curriculum, they see this as a teaching approach that can be applied to any curriculum and support students in building transferable understanding. So it's great to see that teachers already have a really great depth of understanding of what it means to be a concept-based inquiry classroom. Very good, thank you. Uh, what is your background educationally? Like you've come into this uh, concept based, you were a classroom teacher? Yes, I was an elementary teacher for a number of years and then moved into the International Baccalaureate program when I was teaching internationally. I worked in Brazil, in Germany, and in Egypt. And um, through that time in my role as a, a curriculum coordinator, I became interested in concept based and I guess my teacher training in New Zealand was very much inquiry-based already. Mm. So it was about seeing how those two pedagogies come together to support students in building understanding for themselves. And then I began to follow the work of Dr. Erickson and Dr. Lanning 
and as I mentioned, became a trainer. And then I was closely mentored by them. I worked with them. I co-authored a book with Dr. Erickson and Dr. Lanning. And then I've been fortunate enough to work with a number of other educators like Tiffany Brown and Carla Marshall to really develop and extend their thinking. Wow. So uh, just a tremendous experience, kind of life experience. I, I didn't realize you had taught in that many different countries. I know you travel the world a great deal, and and uh, you've talked a little bit already about how uh, these principles, uh, a teaching construct, uh, a pedagogical approach, are, are universal. I wonder if you, you might expand on how... Uh, concept-based and concept-based uh, inquiry models can be taken no matter where you are in the world and uh, and applied in your setting, embraced in your setting even. Sure, absolutely. So we're starting to see more curriculums developed with conceptual understandings articulated within the curriculum. But we also see teachers from all over the world using a concept-based approach with a curriculum that just articulates knowledge and skills. So knowledge and skills are the foundation for forming conceptual understanding so regardless of the curriculum that you're using whether it's a national curriculum or an international curriculum through the international baccalaureate program you're going to be able to use a concept-based approach it's really a pedagogy not a specific curriculum it's an approach to teaching that can be applied in classes right from kindergarten through to 12th grade or university i'm applying the principles of concept-based in all of the workshops that I'm doing. So you'll see today in the workshop I was doing, I was using a number of the concept-based strategies to build teachers' understanding of concept-based inquiry. Perfect, right? Exactly what, you know, I, I was able to participate this afternoon and look forward to being in tomorrow's session for most of the day and, and recognize that the best way to learn is to do and mm -hmm. appreciate the masterful way in which you were taking us through that. Um, thank you. Uh, inductive and deductive learning models play a role in the inquiry model of learning. Now, you've taken it a step further uh, mm -hmm. by masterfully weaving conceptual understanding of the process. What is it in your mind that results in a deeper, deeper level of understanding by bringing the two pieces? Inquiry model has been, I'm a social studies teacher, it's been around mm -hmm. for a long time. But so mm -hmm. what is it that you think takes takes the prospects of learning from a conceptual lens and the inquiry lens and makes that supernova learning. My phrase, not yours. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So a number of inquiry models that exist are, are working at the factual level. Although teachers might be using concepts in their classroom, the focus is on specific case studies or specific examples that students are building. Whereas in a concept-based approach, we are using that inductive approach, but we're really being specific about building an understanding of specific context, uh, concepts, and that's through our concept formation or our focus phase, and then creating opportunities for students to see patterns and make connections across examples. So we really encourage students to be exploring a range of case studies, whether that's every student studies a different one and then they come together to compare and look for patterns and connections, or whether a student studies multiple case studies themselves, to then come up with an understanding that transcends those case studies and can be transferred to new contexts that they will come across in life. I know when I went to school, we were encouraged to present our findings, if you like. Mm -hmm. 
But nobody was interested in what all of the other students were presenting. They only cared about what it was that they had done. And so they were very proudly get up and half the class. So nobody cared about what the other students were doing or sharing. They would just care, cared about their own presentation. But in a concept-based classroom, that sharing of case studies has a real purpose because we need students to understand the case studies that others have studied in order to see patterns and make connections. So the questions that we're asking students are really encouraging them to sort of dig deep into the research that others have done and it makes that sharing or that collaboration far more meaningful. Would, would you say in addition, so that sharing piece, I'm mindful of uh, a conversation I had a few years ago when visiting High Tech High in San Diego and they shared how most first-year teachers, when they do their first project, their first inquiry exploration, uh, they get a product and the students share that product and then that product shortly thereafter makes its way to the dumpster. Mm -hmm. And the senior veteran teachers go, oh, well, you got your dumpster project out of the way. Uh, and I'm wondering uh, when you go through the model that you're proposing and, and advocating, that uh, that sharing but has a longer shelf life in the minds of the students. It's not, uh, I've come to this point, here I've shared this point, and that knowledge can now just leak out of my left ear uh, as I move on. Sure, because a concept-based inquiry teacher is intentionally setting students up for learning transfer as well. That's the final phase, if you like, in our model where we are expecting students to apply their new understanding to a new context. And so that might happen at the time that you are wrapping up a unit or even in the middle of a unit. We're asking students to test and justify their understanding by comparing it to new case studies. But we're also doing it really intentionally throughout the rest of the year or the rest of our time with students. So we might bring in a news story and say, hey, how does this relate to what we were doing back in term one? Mm -hmm. And what connections can we make? How does this understanding here that we came up with help us to appreciate the plight of these refugees or help us to understand the cause of the fires in Australia? Or we're making those connections all the time intentionally as teachers. So we're setting that kind of thinking up for students so that they will continue to do that and to see patterns and make connections. Yeah. Are you old enough to remember Spirograph? Yes. Yes, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> right? Spent many hours. <laughs> it was amazing. I, it was the only time I was an artist, uh -huh, I think. Uh-huh, uh-huh, me too. So the, the thought that comes to my mind is that when we're doing this right, mm -hmm. the, the linked inquiry conceptual approach seeking transference, that that's what's creating that spiral, that, that spiral graph piece of art that's moving our learning up, but but entrenching the link mm -hmm. to the things before. Is that a fair analogy? Absolutely. And I think it's really important to understand what concept-based inquiry means within an idea of a multidisciplinary classroom too, because there's a lot of misconceptions around that. A lot of people think that when we're using a multidisciplinary approach, we are connecting through a concept. So everyone's studying the same concept, but they're doing their own thing or their own unit with that concept that's connecting them. But in actual fact, in a concept-based classroom, it's the topic that's bringing students together. So we're asking students to apply their knowledge or their skills and strategies from another topic 
with in order to understand that topic so that's where we see that spiral if you are if you deeply understand the principles of data handling or you understand um, the way that people can manipulate graphs you're then going to bring that in when you're looking at um, something on government interventions and economics mm. and the way that data can be manipulated to um, sway an audience or to, to um, get predict yeah absolutely and so we we're transferring those understandings to new contexts in order to be able to deepen our understanding of that topic and we see that that's why we need teachers to be working collaboratively so they know what understandings are you developing over here how can i apply this here or what understand you know so we're not teaching the same style of persuasive writing in social studies and in science and in language arts we're capitalizing on okay we know that they understand um, the importance of factual evidence. So we're going to ask them now to transfer that into a new context in science and see that they can understand that. So that's the power of collaboration in a concept-based inquiry. cross-curricular work in a concept-based model. Right, absolutely. Beautiful. There's a lot of emphasis in North America, perhaps elsewhere in the world, help me... uh, if I'm mistaking this with high stakes testing, mm-hmm. final exams, we're we're doing this right now while diploma exams are going on downstairs, and uh, they're worth, uh, I think it's uh, 30 or 35 percent of the final mark. At mm-hmm. this time, they w- used to be worth 50 percent of the final mark. Do you, in what ways does this work provide assurance? that the students are learning that, in your opinion, might exceed that that they would find in a high-stakes test? Well, the interesting thing, I think, is um, maybe this is not exactly what you were asking, but there's a concern for teachers when they're moving to concept-based curriculum that grades on those high-stakes tests are going to dip. And that doesn't make sense to me at all. Right. In actual fact, we find the opposite. We find that students who deeply understand the, con- the content or the facts and skills that we want them to be exploring actually do so much better on those high-stakes tests, even if they haven't covered all of the material because they're taught to think critically. They're taught to see patterns, to make connections, to transfer their learning to new um, contexts, which is exactly what we see in exams. They're given a new context and they're asked to apply their learning. So we sometimes have teachers say, oh, I don't have time for concept-based inquiry (laughs) or I can't afford to do that because of these high-stakes tests. But the teachers who commit to it are actually getting better results than those who fear that transition interesting and i think too if if our desire is actually to provide assurance to the parents that assurance comes in being able to have an extended conversation with your son or daughter about what they did and are exploring Mm -hmm. in school uh, as opposed to Typical answers. Mm-hmm. What did you do at school? Today? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and also, you would hope that it comes through in students making connections beyond the topic that they're studying, just in the current events that they're discussing with their parents. Say, oh, I, you know, when we were studying um, the migration in the past, we learned this, and that's what's happening for refugees today. So they're able to just make those yeah. connections. And so, if parents are really attuned to listening for that 
they will see that their students are making sense of the world through this conceptual approach. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think too, uh, I, I started uh, uh, IB at the high school that I was principal at and received the IB training. And I, I have been intrigued from day one really of exploring this work and reading the various books that are out there, including yours, how many people have some connection to IB and IB curriculum mm -hmm. background. And uh, I think most people would agree that IB is uh, um, a very rigorous program. Um, I was informed at the time don't that you're mistaken if you think IB is just for honor students, mm, that absolutely. IB is a way of thinking and a way of learning that is available to entire range of students and that's the same in the conversation around concept-based uh, and in your case concept-based inquiry model learning. The other interesting thing that I'm finding is a few years ago most of the schools that I was working with were IB schools mm -hmm. and we're increasingly seeing other countries and other independent schools showing more of an interest in concept-based. I've done a lot of work with schools in Taiwan who are interested in a concept-based approach. Obviously here in Canada, there's been an increased interest in understanding a concept-based approach. So I think that's filtering down and there's, there's people all over the world who are now exploring what is concept-based. I was recently um, working with a group in Ghana who were wanting to understand really? concept-based. So I think, um, yes, the IB has made it a very popular approach because the IB or International Baccalaureate is a very rigorous program. But remember, the um, International Baccalaureate doesn't really have high stakes testing in primary years. So it's not N about... Not in primary or middle, does it? Uh, I a think there bit? is some, some more testing now in middle years, but uh, traditionally it's not necessarily about creating a high stakes test. That's not no. the philosophy of their program. It's got so many facets to it in terms of the service learning components, in terms of concept-based inquiry, in terms of the transdisciplinary approach to learning. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, we're seeing a lot of those things being picked up by other schools around the world. No doubt about that. We were talking earlier about a movie that uh, goes way back in time, uh, Princess Bride, uh -huh. and, and there's a character in the movie, uh, the villain, although he's not really, well, no, he's just a little sub-villain, the kidnapper, <laughs> who repeatedly uses the word inconceivable, and at one point in time, uh, one of his assistants, a swordsman seeking revenge for his murder, murdered father, says, uh, you keep using that word, I do not think it means what you think it means. From time to time in the conversation around concept-based uh, I feel like there are words used that are Princess Bride words, like uh, like words like engagement, <laughs> uh -huh. concept-based, inquiry, maybe even in some people's uh, instances, curriculum as a as a concept mm -hmm. is is being used uh, incorrectly. Might be too hard, but in a confusing way. Mm -hmm. What has been your experience in terms of some of those words and? And how would you clarify them? Well, for me, the, the biggest one is actually the term concept itself. Right. Because so many people think that a concept has to transfer across disciplines. But in actual fact, that's not true. We have our macro concepts that do transfer across disciplines, but we also have very specific micro concepts. And that's where we get our depth and our rigor. 
in curriculum. So that idea that concept-based has to be transferable across disciplines is probably one of the biggest misconceptions. I think a lot of people use the term um, transcends disciplines or multidisciplinary and concept-based as one and the same. And they're absolutely not. You can have a disciplinary approach or a disciplinary unit in a concept-based classroom. And the other one that you picked up on is curriculum. Because curriculum is defined in so many different ways in different classrooms. And actually, I was working with a school in New Zealand recently, and we used one of our concept-based strategies that we were using this afternoon, the silent discussion, mm -hmm. around what is curriculum. And there were as many different answers to what is curriculum as there were people in the classroom. And that was just from people who've come through the same educational system. And so I think for me, curriculum is about the articulated learning journey of the student. And whether that's concept-based or not, um, concept-based really is a pedagogical approach in my mind. And yeah something that, as we were saying before, it can be overlaid on any curriculum. And we want to articulate that learning journey for students through our curriculum to ensure that we have a rigorous curriculum, to ensure that they're being exposed to lots of different um, types of information, to lots of different skills, and we're building up well-rounded students. But um, our concept-based curriculum is about building in those understandings and articulating understandings within that. Now that can be done at a national level but it can also be done by teachers in the classroom. So all of the work that I do with International Baccalaureate is the teachers who are writing their own conceptual understandings. That's not coming from the curriculum. They're using in some cases national curriculums, in some cases International Baccalaureate scope and sequence, but they're writing their own conceptual understandings for the unit. So a province can define a scope and sequence that they'd like to see these materials covered in, mm -hmm. and then the teacher can go into that to identify specific concepts inside of a year plan, a, a unit plan, uh, a, a lesson or set of projects, or, or project, a single inquiry, Absolutely. And, and work from there. And I think teachers have more ownership when it is done that way. Obviously, there's not necessarily the same consistency. But if you've got the same knowledge and skills in your curriculum, then teachers articulating their own understandings, they're going to have ownership over that and be more invested in mm -hmm. what does this mean for my classroom. They're going to develop questions and they're going to have their agency and ownership in order to implement that. The thing that we see all too often in concept-based classrooms is just... The concepts and the conceptual understandings only exist in the written curriculum. And so you can plan a concept-based unit, but then still go back to the way that you always used to teach. And actually, those concept-based conceptual understandings never translate to student understanding. We don't breathe life into them. Right, absolutely. Or that, that, that students actually never come up with those understandings. They just exist in the teacher's planning, and then they go back to the traditional knowledge and skills-based teaching and go, oh, it's concept-based because here's my understandings. Yeah. And I can see that students understand that because they've done this. Well, actually, have you given them the opportunity to explicitly articulate their understanding? And that was why Carla and I wrote our book and did our video project because we wanted to see people move from the unit planner and these well-articulated understandings to actual classroom practice where... To, breathe, uh, breathe life into it and right. let the student have the aha moment. Absolutely, because that's so empowering for students. In a lot of IB schools, we see 
teachers telling students the understanding at the beginning. Mm. But that's robbing them of the opportunity to do the thinking. Let me tell you what you're going to know. Exactly. Uh, Let me tell you what you're going to understand at the, res- at, at the end of this unit. And then together we'll work to prove that I, uh, I was right in the understanding <laughs> that I shared. Well, you know, and to me, I liken it also to um, going into my child's bedroom and finding it in a mess. Well, I can clean up for them. And, and do that for them, but then they're never going to develop those life skills of being able to keep their room tidy. And so we want students to do the thinking for That's themselves. That's I made my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And sometimes it's tempting because it's much faster to tidy your kid's room for them, but yep. then they haven't developed those skills to do that for themselves. Right. And how empowering is that? Okay, maybe not tidying their room. Maybe they don't think no. that's empowering, but it's a skill, a lifelong skill. Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's a great example. I, I'm mindful of a story where a, a father has his son, his young son, cutting the grass, and and he's kind of butchering it as he's going, and his neighbor comes up and says, you know, Charlie, I, I don't know. I mean, should you really have Jack doing this? He He's not doing a great job, and he says, you know, I'm not raising a lawn. I'm raising a boy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're going to work on refining the process, but that's more important to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I think sometimes that's the piece for us too, you know, when we're, when we're working our way through this. If I can come back to the Princess Bride piece, I think too there's a bit of a misunderstanding around the idea that this shift to a, a concept-based or conceptual understanding focus is at the expense of facts, knowledge, and skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, that's a common misconception. Um, you know, that concept, it's, it's facts and skills are not important in this day and age. We can Google anything. We just need to teach the understandings. Well, understandings are important, and what we're aiming for is those transferable understandings. But we can't reach an understanding without a foundation of facts and skills. Those facts and skills are the examples that we are using to see those concepts in context. And so without facts and skills, I've seen teachers try and do it, where they create these imaginary scenarios and think that students will understand it through these artificial scenarios. In actual fact, it falls flat and kids get nothing out of it. We need students to be immersed in rich case studies and exploring interesting examples and comparing historic case studies with modern day examples to see patterns and make connections. That's how they form conceptual understanding. And and, uh, not to plug the book, but your your book is absolutely full value for the price. It's just rich with examples and uh, strategies, activities, things that teachers can take and put into their practice immediately. We, what did we do? Five of them. This just this afternoon. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, mm-hmm. absolutely. And and each one was uh, an aha moment as a participant. So, th- I think that that's uh, that's fantastic. Thank you. One of the things that I was talking with some of the um, coaches that you had there today was that for some teachers that's going to be the way in. Just try a couple of the strategies, even if you don't understand all of the theory yet try a couple of the strategies and see the power that that has for students because it's not until you actually see what it looks like in the classroom and see what your students are capable of that's what i so often hear i had no idea my students could think like that when i'm modeling lessons for teachers or when i'm helping them to plan out units and start teaching it they're like i had no idea 
-hmm. and I've been doing the thinking for my students. So sometimes the strategies are the way in. Thomas Gutsky developed a model of um, professional learning for teachers and it's about how teachers' beliefs or practice won't change until they've done their professional learning but then they've seen it in action and seen a change in students' behaviour or student outcomes as a result of that, that's when they'll be fully invested and that's when their belief will change. I'm really passionate about concept-based inquiry, but I've seen you know, all over the world the way that students en engage and just come to life when they're finally given the opportunity to do the thinking for themselves. Across the spectrum of previously exhibited uh, achievement. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you've seen some of those students who are struggling to maintain a C or a D mm -hmm. or a, a 50 or whatever your assessment uh, strategy is, uh, approaching whatever that might be. You've seen those same students now in a con concept-based uh, approach take off. Well, the, one of the nice things about going into a class to model a lesson is that you don't always know the students. <laughs> so you don't know if they're an A-plus student or a D student. Right. And so I can go in and work with students, and sometimes the teachers will be, I'll, I'll call on a student, and the teachers will be going, no, no, don't, you know, that, and just shaking their head in the back of the room. And then the student will come up with something that just blows the teacher away. Because we're asking them types of questions where it's not necessarily a right or wrong answer. We're asking them to do some thinking and to tell us sort of their opinion and what connections can they make here. I've even had students who never ever participate in class discussions and then when I call on them they won't participate initially but when I say okay I want you to share your thinking with a couple of people that are beside you and then as a group you're going to share back, they'll suddenly feel capable of participating. And we were doing today a silent discussion. Adults are no different. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know, you have the same ones who will dominate conversations and who are always speaking up, and then you have those who never do. So just that discussion, that strategy we were using at the end of the day, the silent discussion, everybody's engaged. Everybody has to participate in that and to respond to what others are saying. Right, and just like every other activity today, even there as adults, uh, there's a little bit and you you set the prompt hey you're gonna write this and then you're gonna pass it to a stranger mm -hmm. and they're going to read what you wrote and they're going to add to it and uh, there's a little you, you had to feel safe mm -hmm. to do that and the yeah. students in the class have to feel safe to do that and and there it goes let's shift gears just a little bit can you share your thoughts around um, how uh, planning, teaching, and learning through this model uh, might better support cross-curricular work? Absolutely. Um, I think, uh, as I was saying earlier, the, the challenge that we see is teachers try and drop one concept into every subject and then think they've got cross-curricular work. But the disciplines are still working completely independently of each other. What we want to see is... Oh, what we want to see is teachers coming together. That just happens when you're making a really good point. <laughs> yeah, indeed. indeed. I can't I silence might, it so from here. I can only silence it. I might not even ed edit those out. I just, like, ta-da, that was a great point. <laughs> so we, we're talking about breaking down the silos of individual subjects. Keep going. You're doing great. Sure. So what we want to see in a concept-based inquiry interdisciplinary approach is where we have teachers come together around a topic, problem, or issue. Mm -hmm. And we're using the different disciplines 
to help contribute to our understanding of the problem or issue. So we might be taking both a social studies and economics and a science perspective on that problem or issue if we're looking at something like water pollution. Right. And then we're also using our processes, strategies and skills. So we know that at the end of this unit that students are going to have to write a letter to the editor. So in our um, language arts class, we are working with them on the formality of a letter to the editor and on the use of persuasive language. So the concepts that they're building up in language arts are about that writing genre that we are exploring. But the concepts that they're looking at in science will be around some of the kind of scientific right. understanding of what's causing water pollution, how can we solve those problems. So each discipline is coming together around that topic or issue. In a concept-based classroom, I encourage teachers to look across the year and look at their units and say, what opportunities are there for collaboration here? And maybe that's one unit where the music teacher and the maths teacher are working together on something. And then another unit where the maths teacher and the science teacher and the social studies teacher are coming together. I don't think that we should be doing interdisciplinary learning for the sake of interdisciplinary learning. It has to really fit. It has to fit and it has to make sense. And that's around working together. I, I think um, there's this, the thing that shifted for me is I thought about how people work together in a real world context. When we bring, when professionals come together, they come together around a problem or issue. We don't have a symposium on change and we're just gonna bring a whole lot of random people together to talk about change. We've got a scientist and we've got a doctor and we've got a lawyer and we're all here to talk about change. And we'll start with a David Bowie to ch ch change. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, we've got our musicians there to <laughs> contributing. We, can, we bring them together around, you know, maybe the issue is mental health. And yes. so then we're being selective about, okay, we've got these mental health problems that we need to solve in our community. So who can help to contribute to that? We need to bring in um, a medical expert. We need to bring in a psychologist. Maybe we want to bring in the police in that context mm. because we want to kind of help look at why, what impact. are the problems? Yeah, the impact. What is the impact in society of people with mental health problems and how can we better support them rather than putting throwing them into jail so we bring together the disciplines if you like in this case it's more occupations who can help to solve the problem and we need to start thinking that way in the classroom and think about you know why are these different disciplines coming together what problem or issue are we addressing what topic do we want students to explore to me that's where the beauty of interdisciplinary learning becomes really purposeful uh, it makes very good sense to me. I, I'll share with you that, uh, and you might not know about this, but the Alberta Education has developed a new website. Mm -hmm. And inside that website, they've loaded the curriculum. Now, they've loaded the new K-4 curriculum, but they've also uh, loaded up the existing K-12 curriculum. And as a teacher, you have the ability to go in, select uh, a grade or grades mm -hmm. if you want to do something uh vertically great uh, through through the grades but in the same subject mm -hmm. or multiple subjects so you can search inside each grade for similar constructs or, or subject pieces to hit upon and build that cross-curricular uh, 
project, even at, like at the high school level sitting down with, we had humanities. That was kind of easy to work with, social studies and English together, an English teacher, mm -hmm. a social studies teacher, and they built their year out. Uh, I would think that those teachers that were involved in humanities would easily embrace that. I wasn't a humanities teacher, but I taught English and social studies often the same grade and off, often the same stream, just not the exact same kids. Sure. And I kept finding myself going, no, there were seven kids who had me for both. I'm like, I really should be doing something different for them mm -hmm. uh, because they're here together. You know, how, how can we build this out? It's a natural fit, and, and I think perhaps that New Learn Alberta website, this is one place where if people fully understand the, the concept-based approach, they should be able to leverage that site to build those truly matching mm -hmm. cross-curricular mm -hmm. pieces. That, that, would be, that would be good. Um, you know, you, you're here with us uh, doing a two-day session. We're in the middle of the, in the break between day one and day two, and thanks again for extending your day to have this visit. It's been uh, extremely good for me. I hope it's been fun for you. Absolutely. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, in the, in the days and weeks ahead, what would you want to see from teachers and educational leaders uh, that would be evidence of understanding and application in the classroom? What would that, like if you were able to fly back in or, sure. e or even come back in online and you were visiting one of their classes or, or they Zoomed you into the room, what would you be looking for to say, aha, they're on the path to getting it? Mm -hmm. So initially I would just be looking for teachers to start, well, two things. One, articulating understandings. As I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, the curriculum development is a little bit in pause at the moment. But that doesn't mean that teachers can't articulate understandings from whatever curriculum they're using, whether it's the new curriculum or the existing curriculum, and articulate what do I want my students to understand as a result of this learning, and start to see that. The other thing I'd like to see teachers doing is just start playing around with some of these strategies. Just start exploring the power that they have in the classroom. And ultimately, once teachers are really understanding what concept-based inquiry means in a classroom, I would like to be able to walk into a classroom and see the conceptual understandings that teachers, that students rather, have articulated on the walls. We always say they should be recorded either in students' learning journey, journals or on the wall for students to refer back to. So I want to see that evidence of this is what we understand and here's some evidence of that in the classroom because that's when I know this is a concept-based classroom, when I can see that record of this is what we understand as a result of our learning. And ideally, that transfer happening, you know, those news articles being mm -hmm. brought in or those connections to other disciplines where students are making that learning transfer, that's when I know that, you know, that, that it really was true understanding because they're able to transfer it to a new context or situation. Even in their own life, like you were saying mm -hmm. earlier, at dinner with mom and dad, uh, mm -hmm. you know, something's on the news or or dad comes home frustrated about this that happened at work, and he's like, you know, dad, that's a little bit like, mm -hmm. and and dad's like, where'd you get that? Sure, uh, absolutely. Okay, well, I, I learned this here, and it's it was like this and this. You've described this. 
you understand that this is what you're experiencing, right? You, know, you have that kind of moment as a parent. You might say, you know, I'm really not too concerned about that exam. <laughs> you're going to be okay <laughs> and, in life. Yeah, unless they're calling dad on the carpet. You know, that, that's not what it's like. Uh, you know, so, so there's a little bit there. You know, the key understandings piece, um, we have a, a history in many jurisdictions across Alberta, a recent history relatively, last 10, 15 years, of um, um, Richard DeFore's pro professional learning communities and the questions that they have. And the, the first question there is, you know, what do I want them to know? Mm -hmm. what, and, you know, we talk about what do I want them to understand. I think that's deeper than knowing, and that's good. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what am I going to do to help them get to that? Those are the strategies that you're talking about and the, and the mindsets of a teacher finding ways for them to discover as opposed to me give. Mm -hmm. And uh, how will I know if they know it? And then what will I do if they don't? Mm. Now, I've always added another, what will I do if they really get it and they want to go deeper? Sure. Right? And so, you know, how am I going to enrich? How am I going to support? But it does begin with, with that conversation. And so here, too, existing practices, existing understandings. In a professional learning community, if you and I were so social studies teachers together, we'd be sitting down to, to work through that together. Not to build lockstep, lock you know, you must step this way activities. You're a little different. Your life experience is a little different. Your analogies, metaphors, examples might be different than mine. That's okay. Sure. And that's okay in this model too. Absolutely. It? I mean, the beautiful thing is I sometimes collaborate with teachers on the other side of the world in planning a unit, and we can both go back and plan it in our own context. And you will use different case studies to me, but the understandings that we reach will be the same. Mm -hmm. So each teacher or each class, even within the same school, they're not necessarily tied into the same case studies. Sometimes they might be, like I'm working with teachers in New Zealand at the moment, and understanding the Treaty of Waitangi is essential for all New Zealand students. That's the original treaty that was signed between the Europeans and the Māori people. Yes. And so... Um, there have been a number of disputes over the treaty over the years because the translation existed in different forms or the translations didn't match. And so we need our young people to understand that. So we're going to put that in as a case study that all students will study. And then after they've explored it in that New Zealand context, then each student can choose another either New Zealand or international context to explore the same concepts and build that same understanding. If we remember that understandings come from seeing patterns and making connections it's up to the teacher and the students to decide themselves what those contexts are so they can be different in your classroom and in my classroom the understanding is the piece that doesn't change and if our national curriculum does prescribe a particular context that we need to study then we'll make sure that that's embedded into our unit and then students might have some choice beyond that context but our, but our understanding of that is greatly enriched when we see that you're not living in isolation mm -hmm. you know the, the the entire concept of treaty mm -hmm. uh, interesting because earlier today i was speaking about that with my table partner uh, i used an example with grade four class that had no comprehension of treaties uh, of any nature let's say but that grade four class came in from recess very upset because the other grade four class had dominated the, the hill in the playground, which sure. in the winter 
is the sliding hill, mm -hmm. right? So we get recess, mm -hmm. and if one class has got that hill kind of under control, the other class doesn't get to use that, uh, now what? And uh, discuss the notion of, well, we need to talk about treaties because treaties are very important in Canada as well mm -hmm. uh, as New Zealand, uh, and there are a number of treaties in Canada that impact uh, that conversation and in all instances they've been a struggle mm. to understand mm -hmm. so we're going to build a treaty for the hill for recess uh, that brings some peace and shared use of the space and land that's an initial understanding now let's talk about here in this area of southern Alberta treaty 7 mm -hmm. and how that was formed but here now I'm thinking wouldn't it be fantastic if some of the teachers even on Treaty 7 land in Kainai, for example, were to work with some of your teachers, some of the Maori teachers perhaps, uh, to say, you know, what are the concepts here? What are the concepts there? What's the lived experience here? What's the lived experience there? What do we have in common? What's different? What can we learn from that? And how can we enrich lives on both sides of the world Absolutely. Uh, in the process. Absolutely. Would you be interested in working with some of those? Definitely. Uh, I, I think I might have a, <laughs> I have a friend. <laughs> Perfect. We'll plan a concept-based unit around treaties and conflict. Uh, treaties and conflict as a global construct, which helps, uh, I believe, and uh, it helps us understand no one is actually living in the isolation they perceive mm. they're living in, and that's a concept. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, when all, is, when all is said and done. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. And I, I love that opportunity for teachers internationally to come together to plan units because each teacher comes with their rich experiences and the understanding of their own educational system and the content knowledge that's a part of that system. And so I've always found that if you bring together a diverse group of teachers, you're going to end up with a very rich unit. Yeah, that's that's exciting. I like I like that. Um, uh, personally, I'm a big fan of lifelong learning, mm -hmm. and so we're, my my last question and and uh, on my personal conversations with people moving forward, uh, I think it'll always be a, a key question. I'm wondering if there's one or two books that you've read recently, or that you would say, and they don't have to be related to this, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. that you would say, you know what. Uh, I really enjoyed this one. This would be a good one to take a look at. Um, I've been reading Fullen's work recently. Um, what's the name of it? Well, he's got about say, 97 books. I want to say Deep Impact, <laughs> but that might not be it. Uh, I can never remember book titles. He does um, have one on impact. Yeah, yeah. and, and um, I've been really enjoying that and making the connections to concept-based inquiry. So that's what I've been... Um, reading about at the moment and I've also just started to dip back into um, some of Dylan Williams or Dylan Williams work around assessment and formative assessment and what that looks like in the classroom. The next piece for me I think is really um, helping teachers to understand what concept-based assessment looks like and how we can assess understanding so I'm doing a lot of reading in the area of assessment at the moment. Interesting. I, I thought that today's activities, and, and appreciate both of those titles, uh, um, I thought today's activities modeled excellent formative assessment throughout. Mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, it was easy enough for you to wander around and engage in the table talk that didn't take over the table talk but redirected the thought a little uh, and and gave you some understanding of you know which tables really rolling and which mm -hmm. table uh, have you thought of it this way mm -hmm. which just gently nudges them along the trail uh, Disneyland had this ride that you would get in the car and you were under the impression that you were in total control of the car but there was a small metal rail that you kind of bounced back to if you went too far left or too far right right and away you could go and uh, in many ways that's the art and science of, of teaching and mm -hmm. assessment too. Mm -hmm. I think um, part of what we're looking at is what does assessment look like in each of the phases of inquiry mm. and not only how can you assess, but specifically at those different phases, the intent of each phase is different. So what information are you looking for in terms of student under understanding? It, it, um, initially, it might be about what misconceptions exist for students. And then, you know, do we have a shared understanding of this concept? And then later it might be about, do they have the skills to conduct research to organize information to communicate their understanding so each of those phases of inquiry has its own kind of ideas and nuances around assessment and what it is that we need to be looking for as a teacher so like you say it's more for me about formative assessment right through that process to set students up for success done properly the summative is a piece of cake yeah indeed indeed <laughs> or even unnecessary sometimes but we won't go there <laughs> all right yeah no we'll draw the line right there and say hey uh, rachel i'd like to thank you for spending the time i know that you had a long day of travel the other day and and a great day of presenting today and you've got a full week uh, in what is sunny alberta indeed uh, thanks for all your work and and support and for being available and uh, best wishes in the rest of your journeys. Look forward to staying in touch. Thank you. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure and quite an honor to be one of your first official podcasts. There you go. <laughs> thank you for having me. You bet. Take care. We'd like to thank you for visiting with us and the Hit Pause with SAPDC podcast. Rachel French has been our guest uh, in this podcast. She is the co-author of Concept-Based Inquiry in Action strategies to promote transferable understanding uh, along with Carla Marshall. Till next time, we wish you all the best in your journeys. Take care.